Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming, and we have a very special guest today, uh, Danica Kopp. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sounds great. So my name is Danica Kopp, and I'm a master's level clinical social worker. And what that means is that in addition to undergrad, I also went to grad school for social work. And then after grad school, you work for a number of years and are babysat. And then you go take your exam and then you get licensed once your supervisor agrees to sign off. Um, so I have over 25 years of experience, my, the majority of which has been with adolescents. I've always kind of enjoyed that population, I think, because I hated being an adolescent. <laughs> um, and I also think when I graduated, it felt like a population I could work with and not feel like I was kind of trying too hard or, you know, I was older than them. I had lived through that. So I felt like I had some experience to offer, whereas, you know, being a, a doing, working as parenting, doing anything, I wasn't a parent. I didn't have, I couldn't really show up and do that authentically. Um, so yeah, so teenagers became kind of my specialty and Every time I've tried to move away, I always end up sucked back in, which is great. I enjoy that population. And the past 11 years, I have spent um, as a psychotherapist, um, primarily with adolescents kind of in their issues. And so through that experience, I have really seen the shift from kind of how like you and I were raised back in the, for me, it was the 70s, 80s. I'm not sure how close that you are. But, you know, we were <laughs> around we, their um, 80s, 80s, 90s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we were forced to interact with other people. That was just part of our lives. Like you had to answer the house phone. You had to go knock on people's doors. Like you were forced to interact. Teenagers today in our tech-centric environment are not forced to interact in that way. And because of that, they don't gain those natural social skills. And so what I had begun to really see in my practice is the levels of social anxiety in adolescents just skyrocketing. And I don't know, I mean, yes, they meet criteria. They, they have social anxiety, but I really think it goes back to what Brené Brown has said in her podcast, the FFT, which is your effing first time you do something. It's terrifying. Yeah. And a lot of our teenagers, you know, have a lot of FFTs they've never done. And so allowing them to have that experience, get out there, talk to people, you know, use your phone for what phones are used for. And so and recognizing that and, and know, knowing that as my parent myself, the thought of sending your kid into the world is terrifying, especially when they are showing a level of social anxiety. So I developed my new coaching business to help parents launch their children successfully and kind of tackle some of those, you know, social anxiety skills that I was seeing um, that I think are very fixable. They don't need medication. We just need to expose our kids to more. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so interesting 
that um you get like you just lit off all the little things and all the thoughts in my head and so i don't even know if i sure. like i'm trying to listen instead of come up with the response right and so yes absolutely um, yeah and and it's it is that is interesting because i'm currently reading a book called the miracle equation which is written by hal elrod who wrote the miracle morning okay. um and we're we're a group of friends of mine we're we're dissecting the book and and listening yes. to it. And so today's chapter um is about setting goals and about the motivation or lack thereof right mm -hmm. and he said i actually have my notes up so i can read it because otherwise i'll just butcher it um <laughs> but procrastination you can think of a bunch of different reasons that we procrastinate against stuff Sure. And it's because, but there's really only one. And it's that you associate some kind of pain, fear, or discomfort with the activity that you're procrastinating on. That's so true. Yep. And so anxiety oftentimes mm -hmm. gets labeled as anxiety okay. instead of fear or discomfort yep. or yep. pain. Right. So, yep. Or just a, a, an, an unknown, like I, I've never done it. So it's just this big unknown. Yeah. And uh, I was physically reading a book. I know shocking. It's like, <laughs> you still do that. <laughs> know, right. Uh, so another book club that I'm in, I'm deciding that book clubs are like the way to be like it, it's yes. got the accountability, it's got the, the collaboration, social. <laughs> it's the social aspect. It's like, it's so much fun. So we're starting a, an, a book club for the book parenting from the inside out, which another one of my Ooh. guests had said that I demonstrated that one of the exercises in that book perfectly. And I was like, really? Cause I haven't even read the books. I had it. I owned it. I purchased it, but I had not cracked it yet. And I, yes. was, and I was in the car reading and I have never in my life written inside of a book because it, it's just so pretty. They're just so pretty. And it's, yes. I watched my dad growing up, just highlight, just drawing, writing underlines and all that. And I was like, I just could never bring myself to do it. Sure, sure. So, uh, but within the first like two paragraphs of this book, and it's the 10th year edition of the books or the 10th edition okay. one or the other. And I think it was 10 year. And um, he wrote a little forward and I, I like, I highlighted, I'm using air quotes because I didn't have a highlighter. I didn't even have a pencil. And I was like dying inside to use a pen. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I couldn't not like, I know myself enough that I know that I'm not going to go back and reread it. And if I do, it's, it might not land the same way. Right? Sure. But, sure. But everything that he was, that I was highlighting, everything he was saying was basically the importance of personal development, mm -hmm. specifically as a parent, but sure. just in general. Um, yeah. Also, and that's like what my podcast is. <laughs> Right. Yep. And why this stuff is so important. Absolutely. And I don't know where I was going with any of that, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really do feel like this is one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that is so important 
and personal development for our kids. Because when we as adults have goals and are chasing after things, we feel the feelings that we feel and the, the, the anxiety and the nervousness and the whatevers. And your video froze and that made my brain freeze, but I I think you could still hear me. (laughs) Yes, I could. (laughs) Um, you know, but we, we experience these things and we We can push through them and then we can spot it in our teens. Absolutely. Well, and I think when you recognize that we don't grow when everything's just easy and peachy keen, right? We grow through difficulty. We grow through challenges and through facing those and tackling them and moving through them. That's where our growth occurs. Mm -hmm. We want our kids to grow. We want our kids to stumble, you know, to, to have a hard time with things. And we especially want that while they're under our roof. (laughs) More so than when they're not. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, for sure. This is so funny. I just love the way that like the universe works and how everything just kind of lines up the way that it lines up because one of the um, blog posts that I'm going to be writing in the next day or so is about letting your kids fail. Yep. And because there's literally, and I've mentioned this on another podcast, but there there's literally muscles in our body that, that we need to strengthen through the process of walking and falling down and getting back up. And there's physical need of that. And there's emotional need of that. And absolutely part of my story that I've realized in the last couple of months is that my son would have so many meltdowns between 18 months and three years old that I got into the habit of how do I avoid the meltdown? Sure. Sure. That's another way of saying I was rescuing him from any kind of emotional, anything that would create this discomfort from, right? Yes. And And you think of all the growth that's going on for him during that period, you know, developmentally brain, you know, I mean, he was just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and he ended up being diagnosed with autism, but, um, what I noticed too, is that as I got emotionally better, (laughs) because I was going through some major things starting at 14 months for him and just massive depression. And he just got to experience all of that. Absolutely. Feel that. We can absolutely it from other people. And absolutely. Yeah. So as I got better, he's gotten better. And so like I don't even talk to his teachers or do IEPs or anything like that because he doesn't he doesn't need it. Sure. The, that's the wonderful. most he's explained he's complained now about sensory stuff is it's distracting for him during lunchtime that there's so much noise. And so yes. He's like, I don't have time to eat. And I'm using air quotes if you're not watching the video. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. I don't have time to eat. And I asked him and he has a really good like sense of time because we've been like five minute timer, five minute timer. Yes, yes. 
And I said, so how much time do you think that you're getting for lunch? And he said, eight minutes. And I was like, okay, so if I ask your teacher how much time you're getting, you're going to, she's going to say eight minutes. And he said, I, well, I don't know for sure, but it feels like eight minutes. And wow. I asked the teacher and she said, they get 20 minutes for lunch. Even 20 minutes for a lunch. That's not much. Really not much at all. And, and the reason that all of this came up is I had talked to a nutritionist about just making sure he's getting proper nutrition um, because he's on the smaller side, which could be genetics and it could be that he's a picky eater. (laughs) Yep. So I want to equip him with as much of my knowledge as I possibly can and all the tools that I can, like, that's what we want to do. Right. Absolutely. that's why this conversation came up, but you know, I started, I told him, okay, well, she says it's 20 minutes. And so we have two choices. We can eat faster or yep. we can have less recess. Cause Ooh. that was an option <laughs> that the teacher gave me is that they go okay. back until he's done. Okay. And let me tell you how much his food has been eaten. <laughs> Not taking away recess. <laughs> Not taking away. It's all about priorities, right? You know, but it my is. kid is You're a social right. butterfly and he's, he's, it's interesting to me. And maybe you have insight on this um, with all of your experience, but he is a social butterfly with people his age. Yep. And when he comes, he'll probably be coming home through the door any minute. So he'll join us on the podcast to say hi. Um, <laughs> but he will not talk to you. He will huh. meow at you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but he doesn't want to talk. Um, he's there's, there's a level of discomfort there that sure. level of fear of, um, yeah. But once he feels comfortable, he's good to yep. talk. So that's, that's fascinated me since sure. a couple days ago when I did a podcast <laughs> and then <laughs> happened again. And I was like, this is a pattern. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. There's some kind of rule that he has right. in his mind. And I never taught him stranger danger because yep. I, I, I feel like that caused a lot of harm for, sure. because nobody ever told us uh, that strangers are okay now. (laughs) Ah, okay. Like as you, as you grow up, it's like, and you're trying to build a business and, and, you know, in my business, we'd call it talking to strangers. We'd call it warm chatting. And it's, it's talking to the people is uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. for me and for them, because they're like, what do you, why are you talking to me? (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think I heard something along the lines of tricky adults ask for help or something like, oh, okay. I I remember hearing somebody somewhere taught that. And I was like, because if you think about it, adults don't ask children for help. Correct. Correct. So if they do, that's That's probably a problem. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's a good one. Anyway, we got off on a little tangent. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) no worries. (laughs) So anxiety in teens. Um, What do you do? So you have a coaching business where you, I do. 
do are and you work with the teens you work with the parents you work with both i'm working with the parents okay um so i want to help the parents to kind of i have a, a adolescent launching checklist of over 75 tasks that adolescents should be able to do when they're leaving the house so things like being able to make their own doctor's appointments being able to you know go to the doctors and you know answer the questions like you know what's my date of birth you know what insurance do i have do i have allergies do i have any medical conditions you know kind of those basic questions that most kids, I don't know. Yeah. You know, when my daughter was a sophomore in high school, I started modeling for her, making that yearly physical appointment. So I would have her come over and I would put it on speakerphone and I would tell the person the answer. And I'm, you know, my daughter's here, we're making her yearly physical. And so she could kind of listen to me. And then junior year, we kind of did it together. You know, so I kind of, you know, you know, said, you know, we're here, we're making the call. My daughter's here. I'm trying to kind of teach her how to do it. And so then, you know, she asked the questions, I would kind of like go on an answer. Um, and then senior year, there he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then senior year, I, I had her do it. Um, cutie patootie. <laughs> Every day, like clockwork. What? Nice. You come home, you find me at my desk, you give me a hug and a kiss. There we go. So to clarify, you said to leave the house and you mean at 18 years old, I'm an adult. To launch to college, you know, and I think even, you know, even if they launch to like, you know, there's living at home, you know, still at 18, there's an expectation that they're an adult. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that there are some things that, you know, people like you can't call and make appointments for your kids because they're adults. And so, Right. Like, I mean, I know as a therapist, like when a parent makes a call, like I got to hear from the person if they're over 18, like it's that, that I'm not going to take a referral from a parent of an over 18 person. Right. Um, Cause how do I know they really want therapy? Like my time is valuable. Um, so I don't want to meet with somebody who's the parents are making them when they're over 18. Like that doesn't work. Um, so I think, you know, and even, you know, kids have cars, you know, and so the car breaks down. Like, what do you do? You know, the fact that the car mechanic or your doctor is not going to text you with lab results or, you know, with the <laughs> estimate of your car, like they're going to call. And so you're going to need to pick up the call, pick up the call. Right. You know, you're going to have your voicemail set up. Um, my sister works for Boston university, you know, major university. And, you know, as residents life, they don't text you, they call, you know, right. if, if you report a problem, you have to be prepared to have them call back. Like, okay, we'll send out, you know, facilities to fix whatever it is but kids don't have their voicemail set up. So they never get the message. So then facilities can't come because we can't make the appointment. You know, these are, these are real life situations. Um, Well, and the funny thing is that there are people who live in my households that are three months older than me (laughs) who still are making phone calls. Absolutely. It's, and so I make all the appointments and Mm -hmm. I like, I've never had a problem with phone calls. That's great. And yep. in fact, I, ha- I had the opposite problem is getting me off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> sure. was a problem, um, especially for my parents growing, when I was growing up, you know, when we did, yes. you know, two-way calls and, and absolutely all everybody that. had their own number. So it didn't matter how long you were on the phone because everybody could get, you know, there wasn't a house number. We each have our own individual number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's okay. It doesn't cause friction in our relationship because it's something that I enjoy and I kind of like, I like the organization part of it. And I like, there's 
so much of it that I like, but if I, if, I mean, if we were both the same, yes. we would never get anything done. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, do it online things, but it's not, not everything. everything. Yeah. Nope. And, you know, for kids to understand, like, you know, I know when I left for college, you know, in the credit card companies were all there giving out credit cards, like understanding how much that was going to impact me, even as I'm getting married, you know, because I rang up credit card debt and ruined my credit, you know, yeah. that kids need to understand that they need to, you know, and, and parents need to have had a discussion with them and kind of maybe perhaps shared kind of some of the difficulties as parents that we've had at their age, or, I mean, I was very upfront with my daughter, you know, when I went to school, they were like, your job, your school is is your job, you know, you don't have to have a job. You can have a credit card. Here's $3,000 credit limit. Um, well, here's the problem. If school's my, my job, how am I paying that back? Right. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. So, I mean, I graduated in incredible debt, not from school debt. My school was pretty much covered. I was very, very fortunate that my parents paid for the majority of my undergrad. However, I graduated with massive credit card debt. Yeah. And that impacted me. My husband actually paid that debt off when we got married so we could buy a house yeah. so and I was 27 <laughs> I just yeah. I never made enough to pay it off um yeah. so I wanted my daughter to know how much that impacted me you know as a young adult and the stress it caused me to know that like basically again I have an un unusual name if people called and asked for Danica I knew they didn't know me mm -hmm. so I would say I'm sorry I don't you know that person isn't here right you know that if you were calling for me you were asking for Danica because that's my name right <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, when my daughter was leaving for college, I was very clear with her, like, you know, you, we're going to help you get a credit card, but we're going to also monitor that. And we're going to help you to, you know, I'm not going to pay it for you, but we're going to, you know, potentially cut off other things to help you get that paid off. You know, we may not pay for other things and you may have to go without because I'm not going to allow you to accumulate the debt I did. Um, so it's still teaching, so, and that's still teaching responsibility, which is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I had it again, allowing them to fail in small ways. Yeah. And, and also, you know, like that's, that's, I feel like, um, the re, uh, circus performer is popping into my head, right. They, they, they're doing the flips and the, this and the, that, and the other thing, but there's a safety net underneath, Yes, but, yes. The, but they don't have a wire that's holding them up there they have yes. a safety net that's catching them if they fall when they fall right and yep like i'm glad this is recorded because i'm gonna have to write that down yeah <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> yeah. and i just i'm yeah. like coming up with the with the analogies lately i i came up with a, a communication analogy while i was talking to a client of mine and oh it's so good i'm like event like yes. expanding it but it's it's yeah it's not the point of this conversation but <laughs> yep but still helpful absolutely good yeah and, and it's it's so it is difficult um i i think today maybe it's always been difficult i don't know i i wasn't alive a hundred years ago so i can't say like how our parents parents felt um but you know, I know that there's certain people in my family that have resentment towards their parents because of how tough and how strict they are or were sure. to them. Sure. And so yep. a lot of times, and then, you know, this person took the opposite approach and 
went went too far the other way went too far the other way of like my parent was I'm you're going to be under my thumb and so now I'm not going to ever tell you what to do right right and neither of those are helpful and neither of those are helpful and it's it's a it so what I kind of did when as a parent was I thought about the things that I didn't like in as as a child and I altered them Yep. but I didn't do the complete opposite. Exactly. So yes. If my examples is, you know, I used to get yelled at to go to bed. Okay. And I held on to that. As, like, that's a really big pain point for me was not just yelled at, but like screamed at to go to bed Ooh. and not helpful for calming down to go to sleep. <laughs> and and my brothers would tease me about it because they would, they were teasing him, but I, but it was painful for me. Sure. And then I was telling that to my son's dad's dad. Yep. Yep. I got it. <laughs> and he said, well, my question is how come you just didn't go to bed? Ugh. And I'm like, well, Yeah. There's that too. I mean, I was a willful child, but sure. it, it's also, I mean, I see as an adult now my blame in that situation or my, my of fault course. in that situation. And there are other ways of handling it. And Absolutely. we've got another guest on here talking about, uh, I, I think somewhere on my podcast, I feel like I've, I've talked about, or maybe it's a coach that I've had communication with at some point we've talked about the damage of screaming at a child and that they don't and screaming at children, yelling at children, doesn't make them hate you. It makes them hate themselves. Exactly. Now exactly. I, I hated both, but <laughs> right. Right. Well, and the idea that we're the adult, you know, that, that the parent is the adult and I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, I have worked, I worked in the foster care system. So, I mean, I've worked with parents who have gone to jail for child abuse mm. and I don't believe any parent wakes up and thinks today's the day I'm going to be a crap parent to my kid. Like nobody does that. Right. Like we all wake up and we want the best for our kid. We're trying our best that ultimately substance use, our own mental health, our own trauma, like that impacts us as parents. Mm-hmm. But ideally we're able to kind of step back and I'm the adult. This child is struggling. What are they communicating? Right. And so if you had trouble going to bed, like what was going on at that time of day that was really hard for you to transition from your day to your night, you know, mm-hmm. and for, for somebody to kind of sit with you and say, wow, I'm noticing bedtime's really hard for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, what's happening for you? Like, how can I be more helpful? How can I, you know, what would, what would it look like for you and an ideal bedtime? Like, you know, and, and you might say, I don't ever want to go to bed. I want to be up all night. And then the parent would need to say, And that would be amazing, right? Like if we could have a yes day, like it would be awesome to never have to go to bed. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not realistic. Like, so is it that it's hard for you to transition upstairs? Is it, you know, hard for you because you need a little bit more time and you're not getting it? Is it hard for you because you need more attention and you're not? Like that's for the parents to try to vote with the child. That's not for the child to just figure out because there are childs. <laughs> right. And so I think sometimes we forget that we're adults and right. yelling, it doesn't solve anything, right? Like we don't want to be yelled at. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, that we really have to think of our children as learning beings. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And we have to kind of mold them. And we do that through love and patience and gentle guidance um, Mm -hmm. and understanding that all children communicate in different ways. You know, we have kids, you know, like your child on the spectrum, you know, who their communication is not going to look like a neurotypical kid who is not on the spectrum, right? Who can maybe be more communicative. You know, your child, you really have to be a detective on the behaviors and kind of like, okay, like clearly he's uncomfortable. You know, let me ask those questions if he's able to give me that feedback or let me change the environment because clearly this environment is too much. Yeah. Yeah. And his, we started, you know, because I had that in my past too, um, you know, we may, I may not have done it as directly (laughs) as the way that you just beautifully stated it. So if anybody's (laughs) having bedtime issues with their kids, like rewind that and write that down. Cause that's, was just beautifully stated. Um, but when he was three, I, I told him, I said, you know, I, I don't want to yell at you to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating to me that when I tell you to go to bed and you don't. Yes. So I just need you to listen and go to bed. Yep. And that worked for years, right? Perfect. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and later on, um, I didn't really notice so much because it wasn't a nuisance to me as much. I th- think it was a little bit of a nuisance to my boyfriend. And he said, you know, that like when it's bedtime, he, then he's hungry and then he has a glass, needs a glass of water. And then he, uh, wants an extra hug. And then he's like, we need to like have more structure when it comes to, to bedtime where we say, okay, at eight 30, we're going to get your water. And are you, do you need a snack? And yes. you know, read yep. you a, a story. And, and so Google. that's, that's what we've started doing where there's starting at eight, no more electronics. So he gets an hour before bed Yep, with no electronics. We'll sit in uh, every other day there it's bath. And then we'll do reading either for half an hour, an hour, however much time. And sometimes he'll sit here and at the desk next to me and he'll just sit and draw. And for a little while it's so there's flexibility there so he's not being Absolutely. dictated to yep and, and he gets to choose yep to choose what he wants to do and most of the time he he likes sitting down and reading with me and I'm trying to feed my my body and my soul and and have enough of energy like right. I, I start I'm like done at a of certain, course and I'm of trying, course like energetically at nine o'clock I'm done I'm like I might be able to walk you to bed if we read on my bed but right uh, otherwise I'm 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 just done because I get up early (laughs) right absolutely yeah um and having that routine also reminds me to give him his vitamins at night and if he feels like if we feel like we're going to need it he might get some melatonin and yep yeah but when the check-in that check-in and the, the more routine we have, yes. the, the less he, he needs the distractions of like, I need a podcast to listen to when I go to sleep and, and that kind right. of thing. Well, when you think about even like all of us, like when the pandemic occurred and so now we're all locked down at home and there's no structure, like how much we all were like, okay, like this is fun for a week or two, like woohoo, you know, we're all home and we're, and then it was kind of like, 
oh, like this, we're not, like the kids aren't going back to school and like, I'm not going back to work. And like, now I got to like figure out like that's new routine. And, and, you know, I know there was a lot of kids, you know, who never returned to school, who then with the new coming year, it was like, ah, you know, how do I do that? And mm-hmm. it's been a disruption. You know, all of us as humans, we thrive on routine and some structure. It doesn't have to be tight, but just that there is a routine to our lives. We need that. And, and that's, it's funny for me because I immediately went into routine. Uh, <laughs> I needed the structure because yes. I've, I've been in those situations where I have had nothing to do or very little to do for a really mm-hmm. long time. And it lead I've, I've, it leads to depression and it, leads it does to everything that's not good. Like it does. So I was waking up and I was going for a walk every morning and I had every, and then after that, I jumped on zoom with my friend and we would chit chat for a while. And then we would practice nope. coaching stuff. And like, it was, <laughs> it, she and I like, thank God we connected immediately. And we were like, let's hammer out this coaching program that we, you know, both paid for right. and haven't completed. Right. Yes. Yes. Good for you. <laughs> Good for accountability you. partners, you know, and, yep. and so I've really enjoyed the, the lockdown and the, the, sure all of the, like the working from home, it's, it's, I'm thriving in it. And I like, yes. I have to remind myself that not everybody is like me. <laughs> yes. You, uh, people not like you have kept people like me in business with therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know why this hit me when you said foster parents and um, like nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a bad parent today, but I don't know why foster system really never clicked in that way with what awful parents they are or like what's the neglect or whatever that's led mm-hmm. to like it's got to be really bad for for children in the in the fought to be taken away from a parent oh 100 that's a whole nother podcast oh but yeah. yes <laughs> yeah I mean, it hit my heart when you said that and and I felt like I needed to say it but um yeah, yeah. Yes, because they're usually taken at the end of their school day because it's less disruption to take a child from school than it is to take them from their house. So they show up in foster care with absolutely nothing but their book bag. And, and imagine, imagine, you know, I always say this when I would do foster parent trainings, imagine going to work today and I show up at the end of your work day and you're coming out of work with your purse and your lunch bag. And I say, you're not going home tonight. I got a great home that you're going to go to instead. And it's going to be wonderful. And I take you to just some random hotel and you have nothing. That right that, there. That is what we do. Dramatic. That is what we do. Yep. But that is what we do to foster kids. And we do that because that way it's less disruptive with the parent. Like it is like to remove them right after the school day. You don't have that legal, you know, it, it can be, you know, to rip a kid from their parent is horrendous. And then you might have police involvement because who knows, but right. that is what we do to foster children when we remove them is we take them at the end of the school day and yeah. they have nothing. They don't have their toothbrush. They don't have their favorite hairbrush. They don't have their makeup. They don't have their favorite stuffed animal. I mean, maybe we can get that. They don't have their favorite pillow. Like, I mean, I think of when I travel, I take my pillows with me. Yeah. You know, they don't have any of that. Mm. They don't have their own clothing. Like they literally have their backpack and the clothes that they wore to school today. That's all they have. That's theirs. 
So it yeah. is very traumatic. It, it, my stepdad was uh, in child protective services um, for I don't know how long. He's still now he's with the state instead of the county. Yes. Uh, so he's still doing it, and I just uh, he dressed. He, like, he looks like Santa on yo on a good day yes. on just on his own. Um, and yes. so they would always ask him to do Santa and he did it once. And he said, I will never do that again because too many children asked for dad to come home or mom to come home from jail for Christmas. Oh and yeah. They never, you never stop loving your parent, no matter what they've done to you. Absolutely. They're your, they're your mom and your dad. Yeah. And yet some that people cast their done. parents as the villain in their life when their parent is actually really good. <laughs> well, I think, you know, again, parents are easily targeted, right? They're easy to blame you know, that kind of, well, if they had just done this better. And again, parents do the best they can with what they have. They do. I tell that to, you know, every client I meet with who has a parent issue, like your parents did not set out to make your life miserable. And like, where can you find the good in what they did? You know? And I think too, a lot of this is the multi-generational traumas that, you know, that we endure, you know, that if you look at your parents, so I look at my own mother and my mother was the, the oldest of seven. And she was literally born nine months after my grandparents got married. And then by the time she was three, there were four girls because 11 months after my mother, twins were born. And then 14 months later, another girl was born and that daughter had birth injuries. And so she was like strapped to a board and it like was very sickly. Um, they didn't think she was going to survive. They didn't think one of the twins was going to survive either. So my mom was the first healthiest child. And at three, she's in a caretaker role because she's been booted out. I mean, she was 11 months old when her sisters were born and one of those twins wasn't gonna survive. So my mother did not get to be a baby. And my mother, my mother became a nurse. Um, my mother was overweight because food was a big source of her, you know, her, she would cook for the family and eat. And that was, you know, and then she became a nurse because that's a caretaking role, right? Yeah. And my mother did not get to have feelings, um, you know, that she just kind of had to shut up and just, you know, be the good girl because she's the oldest and she's in charge. And for her seventh birthday, she got a brother like, <laughs> um, yeah, like welcome to her life. And yeah. my grandparents were hardworking people. You know, they provided a good living. My mother, you know, grew up middle class. She was able to go to nursing school. You know, she was able to marry well. My father, my father had a bachelor's degree and my parents were very upper middle class. And I look at how my mother raised me. And while she didn't always get me, I was a very um, emotional, <laughs> emotive child. I would have horrific temper tantrums. And she had no idea what to do with that because I wasn't tolerated in her family. But she allowed me to have temper tantrums, mm -hmm. right? She didn't, she never shut me down. She didn't know what to do with me when I would have them. But she sat with me and she was like, I'm here. I love you. You know, like she allowed me to have feelings. So I think of like, was she a perfect parent? No, of course not. But when I look at how much she did better than what she got, it's amazing. Yeah. And when I think back to like my grandparents and how they were raised, like, again, each generation gets a little bit better, you know? And I think you had said it where like, what can I take that I didn't like? And how can I be different with that? There's probably a lot that was good. Right. And I want to continue that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, my mom had four kids and, uh, she was a full-time teacher and an eighties mom. And so yep. I really feel like the eighties moms had to do it all. And so she was doing the cooking and the cleaning and, 
And, and I found a way to connect with her because I needed the connection and, you know, God bless her little heart for letting me just follow her around the house (laughs) and just talk her ear off. And yep. Like, and I just, I feel so grateful that, cause that I, I could imagine that that would be annoying after a while sure. too. Um, but I was so grateful. She, I, she never shut me down. Yeah. She never told me not to, she never yep. said Leave me alone. I was never yep. a for her. Right. Right. I, you know, and like she was my talking therapy. Like I, when I was 16 and I moved out and to live at my dad's house instead, I didn't have the comfort level to talk to my dad that way. I didn't have the comfort to talk to my stepmom that way. I, I, I left all my friends at my last school and I wasn't allowed to have a a phone in my room. And I, 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 I went from having, you know, support to isolation. And that was the first time in my life where I felt de- real depression. Sure. And, um, it was, you know, I just remember, like, I looks, I, 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 rem- I looked back at all the points in my life where I felt depressed and it was when I didn't have, feel like I had people I could talk to or someone, yes. someone I could to trust. Listen. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and so that has become a priority in my life because I, you know, I connect to people through conversation. I, I, yes. I bet you didn't know that. Like could never would have been able to tell that. You couldn't get that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, um, thank God for I just, I am so happy that I was born in the time that I was born in because like, <laughs> like, oh, technology was better without it. I was like, Psh, I love technology. Absolutely. Don't slam it. <laughs> it's not <nothing. laughs> And I have to be careful that, and remember that there are real people, which is kind of full circle back to what we started out talking about. Yes. I would imagine that even COVID has made it a lot worse for these teens that would connect with friends at school and now they have to be on zoom and now for a year yes yeah and I think it's really hard too you know that social media is such a part of their lives and you know I have another coach Rio who talks about how you know we compare teenagers compare anybody compares their backstage to somebody's main stage mm-hmm. right Rio Scott said that and so yeah like I mean you know what they're putting on on social media is the best part of it that's the production they're not seeing how everybody's scrambling behind the scenes and you know oh, the costumes malfunctioning and you know that's what's happening to us off social media and that's what we're comparing mm-hmm. and that's so true and you know I think back to my own high school days how often were you like walking off the field with somebody and you were like, Hey, you want to grab a pizza? Yeah, let's grab pizza. And we didn't then think, well, who else can we invite? Like we would just go grab our pizza and that wasn't posted on social media. So nobody felt left out because they didn't come Mm -hmm. have pizza with us that night. Whereas now that same thing happens. It's not that you're excluding anybody. It's just kind of in the moment, here's what we're going to go do. But now we've posted the picture. And so now the people that weren't part of that afternoon activity or whatever it was working in that group or whatever 
feel left out. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. God I didn't grow up in social media because I can't even imagine the impact that has. Yeah. But it has a huge impact on kids. Yeah. Um, I like these. And, you know, Go ahead. Yeah. The, you know, the idea of like, you know, the more friends I have or the more likes I have and mm. like, but they're not even friends. Right. Like you barely know these people. Right. Like the, the, have, in the scheme of things means nothing. <laughs> yeah. I probably have a thousand to 2000 friends. I haven't looked because I don't really, it's not a status thing for me at all. Exactly. Um, and I, like most of them are people that I know, but I don't talk to a majority of them. Um, sure. uh, on even a yearly basis, like some, right. I, I go in and out of my phases of wishing people happy birthday, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even that, and, and I go out of it because it's like, I've experienced my own birthday and it's just like thousands of people posting happy birthday. And so many people just do it because Facebook tells them to do it, that it's not personal. And right, so right it's like, if I don't have time to reach out and give you the personal happy birthday, I'm not going to. Absolutely. A thousand other happy birthdays from other people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But that, that illusion of, of that perfection, we even talked about it before I hit record because I straightened up the back of of my, (laughs) my background because I have little OCD things. Like there's a chair that's sitting next to me on my left. And it drives me insane if it's on camera. I don't know right. why. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't even look ugly. It's a nice chair, but it's. It drives me nuts. It's not. Yep. It. It's a distraction to me, and so I want yes. the view. And if my background looks messy, there's right. still that inner voice that says the background's messy. You better clean. You know, they're looking at your background. Sure. You, better, you better clean it up next time. Like they're judging you. Like there's still that little Absolutely. inner talk where it's like. I want to be present with you and not thinking about people I'm not ever going to talk to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, they don't get a vote. <laughs> hoping mechanism for now until I get rid of the voice. I don't know. Hopefully I never get rid of the voice because you don't want to see the background when voice is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a little uh, goodness. Now I I'm going to tell one sidetrack story because it just happened yesterday. My, my whole family went to a Dodger game Ooh. and, um, it was, uh, they almost had a perfect game. So one wow. hit away from a perfect game. Uh, I know it was, it was like so exciting and yes, so disappointing, but it was yes. more exciting. And the, the pitcher got 3000 strikes this season during that game. Um, anyway, most thrilling game we've ever had. Yeah. We were, we wanted to spend some quality time with my dad doing something that he really, really loved. And, um, so we went to this restaurant called lucky burgers. It's down in, in LA somewhere. Um, I've been there a million times in my life and I have no idea where it is. Um, I think it might be Pasadena, but I'm not sure. All right. Anyway, uh, also not important. So, um, we were at the burger place and it's an outdoor dining and, um, I'm telling a story about, you know, my son and how he deals with his emotions differently around different people. Yes. 
And um, so with my boyfriend, he's got that stiff upper lip lip and he could need four stitches and he'd be like, look, Larry, I'm bleeding. It's awesome. Right. And (laughs) if if Larry's not around and we get a scratch, uh, it's the end of the world. Right. And and I, I talk very dramatically and loud, (laughs) especially when I'm enjoying myself and I'm, I'm into it. Right. And so I was dramatizing my son and uh, all three of my brothers at the same time shushed me and, and I went back to that little girl that was always Mm -hmm. shushed by her brothers and don't cry and, and you're too emotional, like all of that. And I sat there, it was maybe five or 10 minutes. And I sat there and I was like, oh, I'll show you, I'll show you how good I can shush. (laughs) And and I, I recognized what I was doing. And I said, I'm not going to let anything ruin this day, this memory for me. Good for you. I'm a 39 year old badass woman. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that can say whatever I want, whenever I want. And if you don't like it too bad for you. Absolutely. And- <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and you're not I- the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Exactly. <laughs> and my, my favorite phrase is I do what I want. <laughs> there you go. I yeah. only know I do what I want. <laughs> yep. And yeah. Uh, and then I reminded myself that my brothers grew up in the same house where we were worried about what other people thought of us. Yeah. And I've outgrown that and they haven't. Yes. Right. And so I was just like, oh, evidence of my growth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <On the back. laughs> Absolutely. See how hard I've worked? It shows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think any of them know, and none of them listen to the podcast, so they'll never know that I, you know, okay, hurt my feelings, and I'm fine. I might tell my older brother because we're kind of cut from the same cloth. Okay, you know, but um, anyway, so back on topic, advice yes. for moms. What advice yes. do you want to give? So I think it's critically important to kind of recognize and identify for your child when they're having feelings or emotions that we you know, we, we tend as parents to kind of like, just like go away. You know, we've kind of talked about that. And especially when we're telling our child, no. So I always will tell the story to parents that if you go to your boss today and you ask for a raise and your boss says, no, you don't walk away saying, woohoo, best boss ever. I'm so lucky to work here. (laughs) Nobody's going to do that. You're going to walk away and you're not going to say it to your boss but you're going to call your partner, your sibling, your best friend, and be like, you won't believe what my boss said. They're not giving me a raise. They suck. You're probably going to have other words that you're going to use. You're not going to be like, woohoo, good boss, good boss. But we tell our children no, and we expect them to walk away going, yay, mom and dad said no, woohoo. We don't allow them to be upset. We don't allow them to have feelings around hearing no. Mm. That's not okay. You know, that that's denying them the ability to feel yucky at times or to manage those emotions when you hear no. So allowing your child to, you know, have a, have a why, you know, I said, no, what, you know, why I always would just offer like, no, we can't do that because of blah, blah, blah. Mommy's too tired. 
you know, we have, we're busy, you know, we have a busy weekend coming up. So to go out on Friday night's not a good idea. You know, whatever the reason, I always gave a reason why. Now at times it's okay to say the reason why is it's been a crazy week and I'm exhausted and I don't have the bandwidth to do that. That's an okay answer. My daughter would then say, is that a hard no mom? Or if I can find a ride, because we would always like, we'll ride one way, you know, so I would need to kind of have the bandwidth to participate in a carpool. And so we were, we using, is it a hard no or not? It's like, well, it's not a hard no for you. It's a hard no for me. <laughs> so then if she could problem solve, like, well, Hey, if I go spend the night at, you know, such and such as house and their parents drive, can I go? Yeah, I'm okay with that. So that allowed her to be able to learn how to problem solve, right. To learn how to kind of take some, take some, a problem and kind of let me sort out a new answer and be creative about that. It also, if I said it's a hard no, it taught her that, okay, I need to just leave that. Like mom's tired and I just need to trust that this just isn't a good night. But again, I didn't expect her to walk away going, yes, good job, mom. You know, and sometimes I would say, you know, like ask and answer. That was, I, I had a couple of phrases. I like mantras where kind of, it's like the same things that I can just fall back on, but that I can say neutrally and kindly. Mm. So, you know, sweetie, you've asked and answered that, you know, you've asked that question. I've answered it. It's asked and answered. You need to, you need to move on. And that would kind of, you know, if she keeps pushing it, she could lose something. And, you know, you, you would usually take an electronic, you know, do you, you know, are you prepared to give up your electronic? And I would always phrase it that way. It wasn't like, you know, you, now you've lost it. Like, you know, it was asked and answered. And so now, you know, if you need to continue to go on about this, perhaps you need to go get your phone and turn that in for the night. That's your choice. You like your behavior, your choices. I also would regularly give her a, a take two. So if she would come down to the kitchen, we have a double, you know, colonial house. So she would come down the stairs into the kitchen and, and, you know, she would come in in her sassy kind of, you know, you know, I want to, or, you know, whatever kind of sassiness, you know, that girls will come in with, I would turn around and be like, whoa, 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 whoa you know, time out. And then I would be like, you need to take two on that. You know, why don't you go back to the entry and try that again? Because I want to say yes as your mom, but that's not going to get you to the yes. And mm -hmm. so she would literally walk back out to the entryway and kind of, and kind of like reset herself <laughs> and come back yeah. in. Yeah. And I loved that I did that, you know, and I, I, I was never, I was not a perfect parent. Like I have a lot of parenting fails, but these were some parenting wins that I figured out along the way. Yeah. But I love that that gave her the opportunity to not just me go into like, lose the tone, young lady, you know, right. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I want to teach her how to get to her yes. And I want to remind her that, you know, this, this interaction is, it's nothing to do with me. Like whatever happened to her upstairs or earlier today has nothing to do with me. So let me kind of give her a take two and remind her, like, I'm your mom. I want the best for you. I want to say yes to you, but I, I'm not going to say yes with that. Right. So go try it again. Yeah. And she learned quickly, like, you know, sometimes she would come down and she would even walk in. She'd be like, ah, hold on. <laughs> 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 mom, would it be okay? Or mom, I, you know, I, I need, or can I please have? And yeah, yes. Thank you. That's a great way to ask. Like, I appreciate that, you know? And again, I'm trying to teach her to be an adult and to behave appropriately in the world. That's my goal. Right. And I, I had to have a similar, uh, interaction with my son when he gives me an attitude and there's, there's something really good about when you don't get triggered by their yes. emotion, by their attitude, by whatever you want to call it. Yep. Then you can approach it with, why are you talking to me that way? Right. You yes. know, 
and that happened and he said and he stopped and he said I'm sorry mom I'm upset about something else and so now what happened he's apologized by himself he's realized his own mistake and I learned a new detail something happens that upset him would you like let's talk about that I want to hear about it yeah Yeah. would you like to talk about it not right now okay I'm here when you need me. Yep. yep. <laughs> that in yep. And in that instance, I actually knew what was wrong. Sure. I, wasn't, I didn't, you I didn't engage. It had it affected him, the thing that right. made him mad to the extent that it did. Yes. And so we did get to talk about it later. And Great. yeah. And so I, I love that approach. I love the take two just because that's a lot like my personality like okay yes you you know yep exactly and it brings that humor like I love using humor like because we want to you know the goal is to to de-escalate situations not to to escalate them more right so kind of when I'm like whoa whoa, whoa, time out we gotta take a two on that you know Mm -hmm. then she's like oh my god mom you're such a goof like yep I am but I want to change the tone of this and this I don't like where we're going and I want you to know that you can get the yes just ask the right way and I'm curious <laughs> if she wasn't receptive to the humor. Yes. You have changed your approach. I would have. Yes. And I only had one. And my mom always said, like, you know, you learn how to parent one and then you have your second one and it's the complete opposite. I only had one. Um, yeah. But I absolutely, yes, I would have, you know, I mean, I, I got to these answers through trial and error with her. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had days literally in our old townhouse where I was on one end of the door trying to hold it closed and she was on the other end of the door trying to open it because she needed a timeout and she was going to take a timeout you know and so we're <laughs> struggling over the doorknob and I recognized she wasn't a kid who could be alone you know she the isolation of that like she melted down mm. you know that that I wouldn't be with her felt like I didn't love her so I had to learn that wasn't a parenting strategy that worked with her right. so then I had to learn I couldn't engage with her because that would piss me off and that would escalate me. But I could go into her room and kind of stand in the corner and kind of say to her without, you know, kind of just with my, I literally would do it with my eyes closed. I just couldn't even look at her because I was so, I didn't want to engage. Like I'm here and I love you. And I just need you to calm down. When you sit calmly in your bed, I will come hug you. I love you. I'm your mom and I love you. Like I would just very calmly and she would be screaming and throwing her temper tantrum. And, you know, I'm here with you. I love you. When you're calm on your bed, I will come sit with you. You know, I will give you a hug as soon as you can calm down and sit on your bed. Yeah. And as I learned that, she would calm down much quicker because I didn't isolate her. Yeah. So yes, I'm not a perfect parent by any means. <laughs> none, none of us are perfect. And that like, yes. like, I love the advice that I get from moms. I was going to say earlier, I love these conversations because my son's nine. Sure. So like, I, he's not a teenager yet. So yes. I'm getting like extra knowledge about like Absolutely. what to do when I run what into works. these situations. Yeah. And then yep. doesn't, when he's really mad, he does not like it when I'm being funny of and, course not right um that feels like you're mocking so, him I'm sure right and and what I'm essentially trying to do is rescue him from his emotions and yes. <laughs> and there's a little bit of discomfort with his sure. discomfort and yes. so that that's that's awareness for me that absolutely good for you 
and just I need to learn to sit and that takes practice learning to sit with my own emotions as we speak Um, yes that's my current path is like just sit with the emotion and if you're gonna cry cry because I was told don't cry stop crying right Right. so I tried for so hard to stop being emotional and gosh darn it I couldn't stop it right you can't (laughs) not be who you are right right Right. and so it's just and I and I am you know I guess humor is a defense mechanism but it's also it is humor is amazing to me like it's I would love to laugh more than anything else Right. So, well, and I think it can, it can really kind of shift a mood, which is what's how, you know, which is what, how it worked in our house. Right. And he's good enough that he'll tell me I'm not in the mood mom. Okay. Yep. And I'm learning to, okay. Respect that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. To recognize his feelings and emotions. Wow. That's what's most important. So what is your book recommendation? So I have two, it was really hard for me to pick. So I just decided to have two. Um, so I, I have a daughter. So for me, Untangled Guiding Teen Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood, which is by Lisa Damore, who's a PhD, was very pivotal for me as a parent and me as a clinician um, in terms of understanding kind of how, especially girls kind of push off, she, she uses a swimming pool analogy. So girls will kind of push off from their parent, like you're pushing off from the side of a pool to take mm-hmm. a lap and it is painful. Mm. but know that they're going to come back and grab on when they finish their lap. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you need to still be there and you need to kind of allow them to push off against you and stay strong for them so that they can come back and grab and have that Mm. safety. Um, So that book was just, it's a phenomenal book. Um, She has another book she's written. That's also excellent. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but she's a phenomenal about teenagers. And the second one that I love is brainstorm the power and purpose of the teenage brain, which is by Dr. David Daniel Siegel. Um, and he's just a phenomenal, he's an MD and he just is phenomenal with his brain research. And so we've obviously learned so much in the past 10 to 15 years about brains that we never knew and the development of brains. And we've learned how teenagers are going through rapid brain growth, like, you know, infant to, four, to birth to three is occurring from like 14 to like 25. Um, and so really understanding like the risk taking that teenagers do and you know, that the fact that their frontal lobes are not fully developed, they can't really predict the future and think through consequences of behaviors. And the, the excitement they have about life is great. Like we want to harness that because they just are very creative about new ideas. And, you know, we look at teenagers and we're like, I think they know everything. Well, their brains are just so wide open and they're just so creative and problem solving because they're not, the frontal lobe's not developed. They can't kind of, oh, well, that wouldn't work because blah, blah, blah. So like, we want to allow them to kind of explore. The problem is we want them to do it safely. And sometimes their exploring involves risk and they can't think through the consequences. And I think frequently I have two nephews who I adore, the youngest of whom is a crazy clown. Um, he's a great kid, but I remember one Christmas visiting and him saying, oh yeah, you know, we took a desk chair and we tied a rope to the back of the truck and we were, you know, going down the country road, you know, and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, Justin, your, you know, your frontal lobe's not fully developed. Like, ah, and he's like, I wore a helmet. And I'm like, I mean, thanks, but like, that is, that is adolescence. Like yeah. the risk taking. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I love uh, Dr. Daniel Siegel. He's also, he's the author of the uh, Parenting from the Inside Out, which is the second oh, book that, fantastic. I'm, that I'm reading. So, I mean, he just, the- I will look that one up, yes. Brackets. And it's, um, oh, it's so good. And I haven't even, I've got, haven't even gotten out of the intro. Like, <laughs> I have- like I've put in, I couldn't underline because I was in a car. So I had to yes. around the sentence. Yes. But I'm like, how do you appropriately quote on Instagram? Cause I want to use these as little, cause they're all about why personal development is so important yes. to parenting. Sure. And understanding your own past and how that's so important to you as a parent. And I'm like, yes. it's like, that's what I'm about. Like, that's the message. And I want to quote them properly, but you know, sure. how, are you, how, how do you do that? I'll have to Google that. <laughs> 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 yeah, not for legal reasons, but I just want him to be able to, you know, Absolutely. Get, the, get the credit for the brilliance that, that is him because the dis, uh, no drama discipline. I have listened to that more than once and I'm not a reader <laughs> of books. Like I wow. usually, I'm a one and done kind of person, but sure. it, that book, No Drama Discipline have mentioned at least a dozen times on the podcast that it changed yep. everything for me because I employed um, connect first before anything else. Yes. And, and that I'm, is important. Yeah. And I'm sure that the next step is discipline and we don't even really have to get to the discipline. We get to, to the learning part, like, right. we get to the, well, which is discipline, right? It's, it is, it is. Well, life is, is, you know, consequences and, and rewards, right. And, and the same with our children. And so approaching that, you know, the discipline is about consequences and rewards for behaviors and choices. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, and I, I think I keep forgetting to, at, to tell, ask my guests to tell my listeners where they can find you. So where can yes. my listeners find you? So you can get my free adolescent launching checklist at confidentlylaunchyourteen.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Danica Kopp MSW and Instagram, Danica Kopp MSW and I have a YouTube channel and I know all the links will be in the show description, but yes, or you can email me at Danica at copcoaching.com. <laughs> I'm out there. <laughs> You're there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested in the checklist and I'm, I, what I'm really interested in and I, and I is, is, uh, writing a check on the check. Yes. <laughs> I, be, I believe it is, you know, I'm, I'll have to double check. Yeah. Cause that was one thing that, I mean, I'm smart. So I figured it out. And yes, the funny thing is that I, I believe that my IQ wise, my boyfriend's probably significantly smarter than I am. Okay. Yep. And he, I, he never thought to look at the, like on a check, it, it gives a example of how to write it. Right. And so I looked at that and I practiced a couple of times. Good for you. Yes. And then I was like, okay, I got this. And he said, <laughs> I'm 38 years old. and I've never done that. I'm like, wow. I don't know what to tell you. 
right? Is he still Yikes. going to write checks? Oh, geez. All right. I mean, it's it by the time Xander's out in the world, I don't think that checks will really be a thing anymore. Yeah, they're not much of a thing now. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most companies don't take them and but right. That's where I find my router number and my account number. This is true. Yes, they are good for that for sure. <laughs> anyway, Absolutely. well, again, thank you for being on the podcast and pouring into the guests and into me as well. And um, and and until next time, we'll have another uh, episode on uh, next week of Imperfect Momming. So we'll talk to you then. Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Momming. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A. L-Y-O-N-S dot com. See you next time.